Welcome to ACE Audio, the podcast that supports, educates, informs, and motivates manual therapists around the world. All right, guys, thanks for joining us today. I thought we'd jump on and have a bit of a chat. Bo and I here about um, cupping. It's a, it's a topic that we discuss a lot amongst our team. Obviously, we run cupping courses, functional release cupping courses. Uh, and it's always one of those modalities that a lot of people have a lot of preconceived ideas and notions about how it works, why it works, maybe why they should or shouldn't use it. Um, so we thought we'd get on today and talk a little bit about history development and maybe the science of what's actually happening when we apply cupping. So, Bo, what was your first experience with cupping? How did you first come across it? Yeah, I actually um, first experienced it when I was doing some work with the athletes at the AIS going into to London where it was a, the big hype around cupping and the marks. Um, so I, I went and did my first cupping course and I've been using it ever since. So that was almost uh, 10 years ago. And yeah, I've had some amazing results with with the use of cupping. Seems to have a resurgence every four years, about the time of the Olympics. I don't know if you've noticed that. Every Olympics yeah. that there's always an athlete or two or three or four that comes out with the markings and, and then hits the media and everyone wants cupping or wants to do a cupping course. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's, that's the thing when these marks come out and then there's this, well, recently there's been a, a huge boost on social media. What are these marks? And um, there's so much confusion with not only in the industry but within the general population of what it is and what are the mechanisms. And there's mixed messages being um, passed out from practitioner to patient, from patient to other patients, um, and it really blurs the lines of, of what it is, what it's trying to achieve, and I think that's where it sometimes falls victim to, um, uh, I guess, the efficacy in people saying, well, there's, what's the, what's the efficacy for it? Is it effective? Um, because there's so much confusion there. Yeah. I think one of the biggest problems we have with cupping is that there's two competing um, histories, two competing theories that, that sort of go against one another or sit side by side, I guess maybe a better way to put it, which is the Eastern philosophy and the Western philosophy. And obviously what we do and what we teach is deeply sitting in the Western side of, of our understanding. But then there's this um, Eastern, largely Chinese medicine, but also um, Eastern European um, uh, philosophies around how it works and why it works. And I guess if we go back to, especially the Chinese medicine side of things, there's this, in a very basic explanation, Cupping was used to to dispel um, certain uh, pathogens in the body. It's described in all sorts of colourful language in TCM, but essentially the, the the cup would be applied to stimulate the flow of qi and blood, so energy and blood, um, to remove a stagnation or a blockage that would then encourage uh, better circulation of this qi and blood and, and, and improved health and function of the body. And this is where we get the, the problem, and you'd be well across this as well, but the, the challenge we have with um, language that people use, we often hear this word stagnation, stagnant blockages used in the Western side of our understanding of it. And that's really, that's where we, where we get stuck, isn't it? So we have people using language from one culture, one philosophical approach to medicine in another culture and, and that philosophical approach to medicine. And they're two different things. There's no blockage 
in Western medicine. There's no stagnation as such in the same way that we use that word. So it does, it muddies the water for sure. Absolutely. There's a lot of mixed terminology and um, use of toxins and um, yeah, a range of different terms, as you mentioned as well. And it's really has evolved. And I think that's what we do need to appreciate as, um, as our understanding evolves and grows over the years. I mean, you mentioned the stagnation and the blockages, but there's also, I think in the early 1900s, perhaps even before that, where it was, uh, the removal of evil spirits out <laughs> of right. the body. Yeah. Um, so it, it, we've got to thank science that we are moving forward and moving away from that. We can't be stuck in those uh, ways of thinking. And um, and I think from a, mes- a, a Western um, medicine point of view, um, we're certainly moving towards trying to find the physiological explanations as to what we're achieving and why. And I think it's really um, complex. There's so many different aspects to it rather than this is we're simply um, removing a blockage or whatever that is. I think you're right. And the use of appropriate and correct language is where we've got to start if we want to improve our understanding and, and the standing of the things that we do in our community we're going to improve the language we use and that one when we talk about removal of toxins is a classic one i hear this all the time and i know it's a bonnet that you and i get in our sorry a bee that you and i get in our bonnets all the time <laughs> you know removal of toxins people say oh, i do copying it pulls the toxins out we know that nothing's drawing through the skin there's no toxins coming out of the body and if they if there are what happens if we don't get cupping do we get toxic overload and die like what how does this work you know it's when you apply logic to it, 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 there's so many holes in that theory. But it's interesting. I think one of the things I want to talk about today is, well, yeah, we're not pulling toxins out of the body, but there are certainly some chemical processes taking place that cupping can stimulate. Uh, and the removal of certain chemicals or enzymes in the body can occur as a result of cupping, but they're not being pulled through the skin. That's the important thing we've got to remember that are coming out through the skin. Yeah. And it's super interesting when we do think of it that way of right down to that cellular level. Um, We often think of manual therapy techniques as a mechanical technique where, yeah, there's a component of that. But where are the effects coming from? It's perhaps a stimulation through the nervous system that creates changes to blood vessel diameter. And then we've got cellular responses from that. Um, So there's various physiological explanations that we can start to think, well, what's really happening? Why are we getting a result? Why are we getting that marking? Um, So it's quite interesting when we start to explore and look into that from from more of a science-based approach. Yeah, that's right. We're all about the mechanisms and, you know, the the mechanical approach is a really easy one for most of us most of us manual therapists to visualize because you can see the tissue stretching and the the muscle elongating or, you know, dips and divots in the tissue. There's mechanical forces at play. And you're right, a lot of people get stuck. Well, well, that's it. We're doing mechanical uh, applications to get a mechanical outcome. And it's more often than not, the mechanical input is just one part of that chain of effect. It's It's the trigger that then creates a neurological trigger, which then creates a chemical trigger. And all of those things intertwined produce the clinical outcome or the effect of of that application yeah exactly and and if you've uh done cupping before experienced cupping i've seen it done you'll see that with the removal of the cup there might be sort of this swelling of the skin it'll look like it's sort of um 
Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit more swollen. So we've got an increase of what, what's called plasma extravasation, where more um, more plasma or more um, fluid gets pulled into uh, the subcutaneous areas of tissue. So we're actually creating a hydration effect through that area, which also stimulates other chemical responses. So we're having increase in local capillary dilation, local blood flow, more plasma within the interstitial fluid, um, which can also stimulate the release of an enzyme called heme oxygenase 1. Now that is more of a, an uh, anti-inflammatory chemical, which perhaps can start to explain what's, what's happening at that cellular level as far as our recovery. Um, is there anything that you could add to, to that, Sean? Absolutely, yeah. Like the hemoxygenase one is the is the real game changer in our understanding of what's happening with this with this application of cupping. Um, and if we go if we go slightly back a step, sort of early nineteen hundreds, the 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 early sciencey approach to understanding what was happening with cupping was we're just getting a, this mechanical forces applied to the tissue, creates some distension, which creates an increase, like you said before, in diameter of the blood vessels, which creates hyperemia, increase in blood flow to the area. And then the basic understanding was that hyperemia would then improve tissue health, improve tissue healing. So if there's been some damage, some kind of lesion in the area, then the healing process would be sort of sped up as a result of that increase in circulation, which we know is true. You know, in its basic understanding, that can be true. It also um, helps to, like you said, we get increasing circulation and hydration to the tissue, which is better for fascia and its state of being. It'll soften, it'll be more pliable. We get that gel to sole effect that we know happens with, with my fascial release, my fascial techniques. And so this hyperemia, um, and then the, the upshot or the, uh, I guess the fallout from that that we see so often and that probably the thing that is discussed with the most contention with cupping is the bruising or the markings. We like to call them markings, don't we, rather than bruises because that has a less of a negative connotation with it. But the bruising, which is essentially, you know, you've just got some broken capillaries, broken blood vessels, leakage of that blood into the superficial tissue, and that essentially gives you a bruise, a marking. Um, ecchymosis uh, is another word you might use for that. And I know a lot of people believe that the bruise should be avoided at all costs, but you know, when we look at some of the research, maybe it's, it's suggesting that the bruising is, is a key part of the therapeutic effect. Without that, you don't get this flow-on effect, right, of the hemoxygenase 1. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing that's really interesting as far as the understanding as well of, of even what the bruise is, all right? And we know that it's, it's technically it's not a bruise. It's a mark, as you said. Um, and the difference is that there's no tissue damage. The damage is to the, the capillaries, all right, so we can get a, a change to the, the capillary that causes the, the bleeding or the, the leakage, leakage of the erythrocytes, um, which is not form of trauma to the, the underlying muscle, which is where you'll get a painful bruise. So uh, it's a different uh, understanding there, especially from the way that a patient perceives um, that mark as a bruise, taking the time to explain that it's not actually a, a bruise, it's more of a, a marking. That's right, yeah. And that the interesting thing that happens once you get that blood in the tissue, those erythrocytes in the tissue, at about six hours to three days, so one to three days, you get this gradual increase in the release of uh, macrophages, which sort of 
come in and sort of chew up and eat up all of those erythrocytes and basically get rid of all that blood out of the tissue. With those erythrocytes, sorry, with those macrophages comes this hemoxygenase 1. And so not only do you get that cleaning up of the tissue, which is, you know, helps to heal and kind of basically clean up that area that's been contaminated with all of this waste product or this dead blood, you also get this release of this enzyme that is perfectly suited to um, improve the health of the surrounding tissue. And, so, and not only that, you know, there's been studies that show that um, when we get an increase in hemoxygenase 1 in, in muscle and connective tissue, those enzymes are also then found in other organs, liver, kidney, digestive, uh, reproductive organs even. So not only is it improving the health of the surrounding tissue that's been affected by the cupping, but it's a systemic effect. So anyone that's got any sort of inflammatory processes going on in the body, um, even proliferation, ex excessive proliferation of um, necrotic tissue, sorry, um, of uh, you know, cancerous or other tumor type, um, tumor type tissues, then these, this hemoxygenase one can be used to improve uh, the health of those other organs and systems. So it's, it's a very um, body-wide effect that can be tracked from a chemical level at least. Yeah, and, and really interesting, I read on, um, on this enzyme, around similar type of effects as a PRP injection, mm. which I use as far as stimulating a healing response around tendons. Um, so by creating that um, local inflammatory response um, is sort of a more non-invasive way to create a healing response, which is quite interesting. And a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no, it's amazing. So there's, there's so much to be said for... Effective cupping, and it's, this is one of, one of the reasons why people say, oh, uh, you know, that the, the markings, the bruisings are so bad. But if you understand it at this this level, well, the markings are kind of the key step. You sort of need that to happen. The bruises need to happen to trigger these other chemical reactions to take place to really improve the health of that tissue. And, and obviously, there'll be some situations where people might take this to the wrong extreme, and they'll say, well, okay, well, I've, str I've, I've strained my hamstring, I've torn a muscle in my hamstring. Um, I want to speed up the healing. Let's whack a cup on there, and it's you know the day that they tear it or the day after. Yes, you get some chemical changes taking place, which might improve the healing environment for the tissue. But if you've got a tear in a muscle and you're applying a strong mechanical force to that tear, then that's going to negatively affect the ability for that tissue to knit back together, form a scar, and do all those things. So there's a bit of a there's a fine line between applying the mechanical force to get the chemical trigger and chasing that chemical tr trigger with without considering what the, the mechanical force might be doing at the same time. Yeah, I think the body is really good at healing and re recovering itself, but it's when you look in those chronic presentations, like if you take, for example, um, someone with a non-specific chronic low back pain where it's more of that unhealthy tissue, where they're more, be, maybe more um, ischemia, uh, so a lack of, uh, good nutrients through the through the blood, the lack of oxygen, which can mean that the pH within that tissue can, can lower. Now, we know that if something becomes more acidic, that more of an acidic environment, that can change the threshold of the of the nociceptors, which can quite easily trigger those nociceptive afferents to the central nervous system. So that area becomes sensitized. If we think about how the, the mechanisms of what we're doing with a cup as far as getting more local blood flow into the area, triggering that, um, that perhaps that, that healing effect, 
Um, but essentially it's a flushing those nutrients into the area. So in those chronic cases, maybe it's creating more health through the tissue by providing it with more oxygen, um, more nutrients, but also diluting the area. So if we've got an area that's highly sensitized, there's an increase in substance P, calcitonin gene-related peptide, a bunch of these sensitizing chemicals. So if we can sort of dilute that area, that will change, have a change to the pH, which will change the signaling to the central nervous system. And then we can also have an inhibitory effect. So I think now we could start to explore even some of the neurological effects of what we're doing with, with cupping. Uh, and Sean, you've created the functional release cupping technique. Um, and I think that's where, you know, you've started to add in the movement, um, both passive and active into these, these techniques. So can you explain a little bit more about how that might be affecting the, the nervous system? Yeah, I guess first I wanted to say, well, I, I coined the term functional release cupping uh, and I put together the system to teach it and understand what we're doing and the science behind it. But I think people have been using movement with cupping for a really long time, so I can't necessarily claim that. I won't do that. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly the, the, the protocols that we use um, are something that I developed a few years ago. Um, but before I get into that, just quickly touch on something you said, which I thought was really interesting about the, the chronic cases when we have this unhealthy um, and in the, the, um, the chemical environment that the tissue is in creating a lower threshold for activation of, of, um, of nociceptive firing. You know, when you've got a sensitized nerve and you get a lot of chemical irritation around that nerve, whether it be in a muscle or anywhere along, you know, a motor or sensory nerve, then you also have, you run the risk of getting um, neurological inflammation. You know, you get inflammation on and around a nerve. One of the, one of the other really interesting things this heme oxygenase one thing does that we mentioned before is this anti-inflammatory effect. And so not only is it going to clean up all of those erythrocytes in the tissue and sort of work with the macrophages to get rid of all the, the rubbish, but it's also going to improve the, the, the health of the tissue and decrease inflammation around not only muscles, but around nerves and, and, and a chronically inflamed nerve, chronic neuro, uh, neurogenic inflammation can lead to really, really difficult to resolve chronic pain. You know, it's, it's a real vicious cycle that feeds itself. So anything that you can do to break that cycle of inflammation around a nerve early is going to be a really good thing. And, and cupping being essentially a non-invasive therapy, you're not going into the tissue, you're not slicing through anything, is a great way to do that, um, providing you're using it in an appropriate way. Um, coming back to the functional release cupping thing, the idea of movement with it um, dawned on me one day, and it just seemed to make sense because so much of what we're doing in our manual therapy now is about trying to take somebody from a, a passive input, which is essentially a lot of what we do is the patient lays there, we apply the manual therapy they receive and then they go, we always want to progress them into doing exercise and movement and kind of uh, moving the expanding out of their problem. And so I thought, well, why not create a protocol where we use a passive therapy and engage the nervous system in an active way? Um, but not only that, so you get this obviously active engagement of the nervous system, the person's feeling and as they're moving through space and through movement, they create confidence in movement and through confidence, they get a greater degree of um, certainty about what they can do and what what's might be possible. Uh, but also coming back to the mechanical forces, we know that so much of our myofascial approaches that we use relies on these kind of shearing forces that we create through tissue. And um, you mentioned before uh, plasma extravasation. 
one of the key triggers for plasma extravasation is multidirectional forces or transient forces on, on connective tissue. So not where you stretch a muscle or connective tissue in one direction, but forces that might be pulled in one direction and another direction, like three directional forces. So what better way to do that than have a cup lifting skin and connective tissue, a muscle dragging across that creating friction. And then as the person moves through different ranges of motion, we have really three dimensional forces being applied. That's, that in my mind was the best trigger um, to get that plasma extravasation to work. Um, and it seems to hold true. You know, the, the effect you get with cupping versus cupping with movement using these protocols seems to produce a much faster effect, a more long lasting effect and more reliable in a lot of cases. It's not just about putting the cups on letting the person lay there. They can be an active participant in the treatment and actually feel the changes happening in real time. Absolutely. And I think as well, um, again, we've got those mechanical effects, we've got the cellular effects, and then the input back to the nervous system. You've got someone with, um, you know, chronic low back pain that every time that they go to bend forward, they already know they've got this preconceived understanding that I'm going to feel my back when I bend forward. Um, so by putting a cup or multiple cups on someone's back and then having them perform that movement, it does multiple things because it, it firstly takes the spotlight away from their pain. So it's, it's interrupting their focus, um, but it's also changing the input back to the central nervous system. Um, and that could even be via the pain gate theory. All right, so we're now having different input or a different sensation that's interrupting the noxious input back to the brain. Uh, so I think that's a really interesting mechanism. And then when they repeat that movement, they get more comfortable with it. So the more comfort that they have, it removes their fear, removes their apprehension. It gives them more confidence. You take the cups off, get them to repeat it. Um, then you're motivating them, reinforcing how great that is and look how well you're moving. Um, and I think that's a real, really great start to have them moving from the table into an active environment um, where they can then take a lot more ownership of, of their recovery. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Look, at the risk of, you know, blowing everyone's heads off too much with too many more big words and, and, uh, and concepts and theories, we probably wrap it up there. But that, I think that was really good just to sort of sum up where cupping I guess the, the historical understanding of what cupping does at a very basic level through to what we're really talking about when we're talking about Western myofascial cupping. Um, yes, we're dealing with muscle and connective tissue, hence myofascia, but really there's, there's an interplay of the nervous system. There's chemical processes taking place. Yeah, there's mechanical forces being applied, but they're really just triggers to start these other processes. So, um, but is there anything else you wanted to add to that, Bo? No, I think, I think that's the key is to think about it from not a simplistic approach, that there's many factors that are associated in why we get such a great effect with it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think for people to um, really understand this modality, you've got to try it out, you've got to experience it. And then with that application, do some reading, you know, like, why did the, why did that bruise happen like that? Why, why is it changing color? You know, there's plenty of research to say why it changes color, why it's going through those different processes of color change. And, and that's largely explained by the chemical process is taking place. Macrophages eating this and breaking down this particular chemical and turns into this and this and this and so on. So yet yeah, try it, do some reading, apply the science, 
question what you're doing doesn't make sense with my current understanding and then and then continue to challenge that and essentially you, you come up with a with an explanation that holds water is what we're trying to get to yeah cool definitely all right leave it there then thanks bud cheers cheers